New year, new views. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everyone. It's the week of January 8th, 2024, and we are so glad to be back on our first week of the podcast this year. We hope everyone was able to take time away from work and the markets, and we're shaking off the cobwebs ourselves. So in keeping with tradition, we'd like to spend this week level setting where the markets are now and charting a path forward for the year. 2023 ended up being a unique case of volatile but pretty strong performance in equities. And we had an 11th hour recovery in bonds despite a historic degree of policy tightening. So 2024 is starting off strong, thanks in large part due to a dovish change in rhetoric from the Fed in its most recent December policy meeting. The notable shift here is the Fed's belief that inflation can continue to come down without additional tightening. Now, I want to be clear, the door is not closed to further rate hikes if needed. But the market interpreted this as the likely end of the hiking cycle. And with the next interest rate move likely to be downward after some period of a pause this year, we've seen a pretty stellar Fed pivot rally. And this rally has been accompanied by a broader acceptance of the soft landing narrative among investors. Now, for us, we still believe that a recession is most likely to be the scenario for 2024. But unless we see some real downside surprises in the data this month, which we're not necessarily expecting, this rally may very well broaden. So in light of a strong market flying in the face of economic pressure, we came up with three questions that we think are likely to drive investor outcomes over the next few quarters. Ooh, three questions. Well, I want your take, so get ready. (laughs) Question number one, or debate really for this year. Since financial conditions have loosened here in the last couple of weeks, thanks to the Fed and the, the market decision that we may not need to see more rate hikes from here, Will that loosening of financial conditions actually support economic growth and cause inflation to refer? This is such a good question, and I think it actually gets right to the heart of an issue for both the Fed and the market right now, which is the over-eagerness of the market for policy support, taking any hint of a dovish comment from the Fed and running with it. The reason that this is counterproductive for the Fed is because, of course, they're still trying to keep financial conditions tight and interest rates restrictive. When the economy takes a dovish comment and prompts a loosening in financial conditions with an equity rally, for example, this is counterproductive. It's something, though, that they seem to invite at the December meeting. Yeah, so I want to be clear here that what it appears the Fed is doing is saying, hey, inflation has moved down more in 2023 than we thought it would. And so maybe we can let off the brake a little bit, even just in our language in the December meeting, to avoid over-tightening and therefore causing the economy to struggle. Like they don't they don't want to make the economy suffer on account of bringing inflation lower, although those things are often very closely tied. So that's the balance that they find themselves in here lately. And and we'll talk a little bit more about that balance between their mandates in a minute. But I think the reality is that if you do see 
for example, rates-sensitive sectors of the economy like housing or the equity markets improving because of this pivot that they've made, then consumers might say, hey, I things feel a little better. I have more confidence. I go out and spend more. And again, it's very difficult to see inflation moving quickly lower if that occurs. Exactly. It also ties back to why we approach this year with scenarios, very serious scenarios, specifically the option for more inflationary paths like overheating or stagflation. Together, we've attributed a 35% probability to those two scenarios. And the idea of perhaps the Fed lightening up on its inflation mandate a little bit too early is a key potential trigger point for either of these. Let's move then to our second question that investors are facing this year. And this to me, and this is about earnings. I'll just put it there up front. But I want to give a little bit of context. There's a lot of ink spilled on the debate of soft landing or hard landing. So avoiding a recession or not avoiding a recession. But the reality is that most analysts and most investors expect the economy to slow this year. It's just a matter of does it slow to below zero or not quite. And so when we look at earnings expectations for this year and we see that there's a lot of expectation for improvement and growth, the real question is, can earnings do that? Can they grow when there are these growth headwinds ahead? So we're often talking about how there can be a difference or a dichotomy between the fundamental economy and what's happening in the market, right? Equities can be rallying when the economy's been slowing, as has been the case for the past year. But this earnings question that you ask, Lauren, speaks to a third angle of that, which is that the economy can be slowing, the equity market can be doing whatever it's doing, and corporate earnings can actually be more resilient than we thought that they might be. Companies have an incredible ability to cut costs. They have been able to increase their top lines over the past year because of inflation. So it's not a one-to-one-to-one ratio. And in our view, even in the positive GDP scenarios for 2024, generating earnings growth might actually be challenging. So I'm curious, Lauren, on your take, what's going to potentially be pressuring that top line at the fundamental this year? Yes, there were a lot of things, to your point, that companies were able to do last year in order to, frankly, be quite resilient. So even though inflation was quite painful, companies were able to pass a lot of their higher costs. And that for them was not just goods costs or food costs if you're a restaurant or whatever the case may be, but also labor. The labor market was doing very well. And interest rates were higher. Like there's all these different costs that companies had, but they were able to pass them on to consumers because consumers were more resilient as a result of the policy support they had in the labor market doing pretty well. So every there's almost this virtuous cycle of, well, hey, companies are increasing their prices, but people are willing to pay it because they have the cash and are happy to be back out in the world, whatever the case may be. The question is, can that keep going? And our concern is that it might actually be pretty challenging. So I mentioned the labor market as a source of strength for spending. It's still the case. The labor market has been really quite strong. Just on Friday, we got another really solid jobs report for this phase in the economic cycle. But as a result of that, 
wages aren't yet contained. And so companies' compensation costs are be are still pretty sticky. And on the top line, when it comes to being able to pass those higher costs on to consumers, that pricing power has been starting to decline. And so if growth is starting to slow a little bit and people aren't really willing to take higher prices anymore, you know, we just had a really expensive holiday season. So top line revenues are stable. They're not growing anymore, but costs are still pretty sticky. What that means is that companies' profits are smaller. And so if you have an environment where companies' profits are smaller, then the only way that you get earnings to be better is by multiple expansion. And that's just not something that we're expecting to be the case after several years back to back of multiple expansion. So we see this as an environment of, of um, you know, potentially some headwinds for the corporate environment. Let me tag team that with a little bit of market context as to why this earnings question is so important. Throughout 2023, earnings expectations were slowing. We covered that in a few podcasts. But net-net, especially as economic growth slowed, they did hold up relatively well. The sort of swing vote or shock that happened in the earnings space last year was related to the Magnificent Seven relating to artificial intelligence trends. When those companies surged, it put us in an environment where, number one, their earnings expectations absolutely exploded, and there was a big debate about whether that was the correct thing or if they deserved those increased earnings expectations, especially for the near term. And number two, there was earnings resilience in other portions of the market, other sectors, other smaller cap companies, where earnings resilience was not rewarded in how the performance turned out. So there's been a question of, what sort of earnings growth should we expect in the first place? And is it actually going to feed in into performance? So this is another, obviously, major question for the economy and markets this year. And frankly, it's a it's a question for the economy and markets every year. But because we're at this phase in the cycle where profits are you know, exactly what starts to determine whether the labor market can continue to be strong or not, we consider it to be very timely and very important. All right. Last question. Well, certainly not the last question for the markets, but the last one we're going to talk about today is how does the Fed balance its dual mandate ahead? We talked a little bit earlier about the trade-offs between inflation being maybe sticky, the labor market, you know, the Fed not wanting to see employment move lower. Julia, how do you think about that? Yeah, I think about this in terms of the conditions that will have to be met to support the idea of the Fed reversing policy, easing interest rates, and providing that support back into the economy. The first side of that dual mandate is inflation stability, price stability. And we like to measure that through long-term and medium-term inflation expectations, as well as what's happening in core inflation. On this front, we still see a lot of room for core inflation to come down before the Fed can credibly cut rates. The second portion of these conditions pertains to the full employment portion of the Fed's dual mandate, which we measure in terms of wage growth and just the unemployment rate. The issue we're seeing here is that wages, wage growth is still quite high and in our view supporting that elevated level of core inflation. So we see more room for wage growth to come down again before the Fed can cut rates. 
So we're essentially looking at an environment where inflation has been the focus for the Fed and frankly, other global central banks, too, for two years. And now what the Fed's been telling us is actually we might need to focus a little bit on growth now, too. And and we agree with that, by the way. There's there's one thing that Julia mentioned earlier with respect to our Fed cuts checklist that I want to point out that we might need a little more progress on inflation before the Fed can credibly cut interest rates. They might still cut interest rates. Um, it, it's something that we're that we're grappling with as investors that um, the Fed may, because policy is so tight and inflation has come down somewhat, the Fed may begin cutting interest rates from this tight level. But that would still leave them in the in the area of restrictive policy. And so as investors, we need to acknowledge that we're not necessarily talking about a seed change for the economy here, but it may very well be, in fact, is likely to be a seed change for the markets if and when the Fed begins cutting rates this year. And look, it's already happened a bit in the past couple of weeks. In its December meeting, the Fed claimed victory on inflation, hinting at this sort of shift towards focusing a little more on employment. That was a dovish surprise. And the market loved it. But as Julia pointed out, if if inflation does prove sticky, then the economy won't love that. That's more of a deeper profits recession setup. Let me just double click there, Lauren. This takes us back to the idea of a soft landing now might mean a hard landing later idea. This concept that timing is what may vary in terms of the economic outcome for the year rather than where we eventually end up, which, as we've said, in our view, is recession. Right. And premature easing to avoid a recession, it might work and it might not. All things considered, a little slowdown sooner for for us, it might actually be the better medium term outcome for investors in the economy because Yes, a, a reset in valuations would be painful in the very short term, but we expect, especially in an election year, that we might see policy support could facilitate a strong recovery. And frankly, it could bring investors more clarity because for the first time in a long time, we would have a new post-pandemic economic cycle. I guess we'll see soon enough. That brings us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. So let's take the opportunity to remind everyone of our high-level equity and fixed income views as we head into the year. In equities, it can be hard to balance the fear of missing out in a strong market and the fact that valuations have become increasingly challenging to justify in some areas. So in this environment where we maintain our conviction in staying diversified across style, so instead of looking at you know value versus growth or different equity sectors, we're really looking at pockets of quality. Another way to say this is that it's a stock picker's market. It's an area where active management can really help to keep the risks and opportunities balanced. And we do think that there can be opportunities across different size, categories, sectors, et cetera. We're particularly looking at profitability. On the fixed income side, last year, we were looking for pockets of the market that allowed investors the potential to preserve those inflation-adjusted real returns, while also keeping credit risk close in hand in an economic slowdown. High-yield corporate bonds were actually one of our favorite spots to do so. This year, we are equally focused on that credit risk component as well as duration. 
And that's with the view that the Fed will be cutting interest rates as the economy slows at some point this year. Now, when it comes to where to add duration, how to do that, the Treasury curve is looking pretty wonky to us. So we have been preferring municipal bonds as a spot to add duration, which also offers a nice middle ground of credit quality as well. Coming up next, this week, the team is starting out getting on the road with investors, and we look forward over the course of this year telling you all about the different things we're hearing, the questions we get, and of course, giving you answers where we have them. In terms of data, we have inflation data from the U.S. this week, obviously an important part of this balance the Fed is making between inflation and employment. But our next podcast episode will be one of our favorites, one of the most popular typically every year, our Black Swans for the year. What are the risks that, while we don't think they're particularly likely to happen, could disrupt markets in 2024? But that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com backslash global dash markets. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin here with Julia Herman, and we'll see you next time. Our podcast is produced by Will Tyus, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.